Welcome to Fair Folk. I'm Danica Boyce. Hello, dear friends. It's lovely to speak to you from my home in northern British Columbia, Canada today, where summer has finally hit for the most part. It's something special that we're all here together in this mass experience of change, really, and it seems like just the right time to meditate on moving water, which is purifying and life-giving, if sometimes death-dealing. But it's always moving. And that's what this episode is all about. I'd like to make a small announcement before I begin. I've noticed that a lot more people than usual have been reaching out to connect with me online in the last couple of months, asking me curious and fascinating questions of all kinds about folklore and music, and I'd really like to honour that excitement and interest without spending all day and night on Instagram and email, so I'm adding a new offering to my Conjuration tier on Patreon, a bi-weekly live Q&A session starting next week. That way, when you join that special group of people, you can post questions to me anytime, and I'll do my best to answer them in person, which is a beautifully human way to connect in a time of sacred distance. The Conjuration tier of Fair Folk's Patreon also has access to the monthly Almanac episode of Fair Folk, of course. So go to patreon.com slash fairfolkcast to sign up for the Conjuration tier or any other tier and check it out. I look forward to seeing you there very soon, and I'm very grateful for your support, as this is now the way that I am making my living. In this series of episodes, I'm inviting you to dive deep with me into the reservoir of folklore, myth, and magic of sacred waters, and especially into the unique and powerful place in that ever-shifting, ever-flowing kingdom that is held by the spring and the well. The title of this first episode in the series, Water of Life, is drawn from Slavic folk tradition. The Water of Life Zhivayavada, appears in multiple folktales from East and West Slavic cultures. In these tales, the water of life is used to restore the life of a murdered hero. In Slavic folk custom, living water is moving, fresh water, drawn directly from its origin, such as from a spring, where it bubbles up from the ground, or from a river at its source. This living water is most potent for use in ritual, since it retains the raw energy of the earth, demonstrated by its purifying and vitalizing movement. The water of life of Slavic folktales is often paired with the water of death, drawn from still water, like a lake, which restores and heals a body wounded through violence. Thus, water of death will be the title and theme of a later episode in this series. That episode will examine the folklore and folk song of wells and springs that connects them with sorrow and violence querying how these sites of deep and ancient reverence can also hold the memory of such profound suffering and trauma. This, the first episode, will begin by exploring the place of wells and springs in mythology and spiritual belief and practice. Wells for magic, wells for healing, 
wells for wisdom and love, wells for the pure awe and wonder of living water. Because the word well implies both a dug well drawing on groundwater and a spring that's built up or simply considered holy, I'll often use the word well to refer to both in this episode. Wells are one of the oldest sacred sites and symbols across the earth, and a visit to a well is always some kind of reckoning. We gaze into a well to discover what our future will be, whether the question on our hearts is of love, of loss and pain, or simply whether there will be enough water this time to keep us alive another day. Maybe once, as a child, you came upon a public fountain in the city square or park, and you saw coins glittering on the bottom. And, compelled by some glowing desire, you took your rare and precious coin and tossed it in the water with them, and watched it descend, along with your wish, into the mysterious depths, and placed your bid in for something grander, something altogether more magical and unpredictable than your usual experience. When you threw your coin into that fountain, you participated in an ancient ritual invoking the moving water's uncanny powers of life and death, of healing, of fertility, and fate. And no matter where your ancestors hail from, whatever remote corner of the earth, hill or desert, you can be certain they performed this ritual as well. This is the act of visiting a spring or well, which has come to be seen as sacred, either by its location or by events associated with it, and is set aside for special devotion. Freshwater springs are found on all inhabited continents on Earth, and so, therefore, are holy wells. Because of the success of Christian evangelism in the last two millennia, especially in Europe, where a good number of holy wells are located, these wells are typically now named for a saint, and any of their magical attributes, such as the power to heal, would be attributed to the powers of that figure through the Christian God. Before saints, sacred springs and wells were associated with gods or goddesses, fairies, or the spirit of a place, but the oldest and deepest devotion belongs to the potency and magic of water itself. You may have heard of the famous Roman baths in the city of Bath, Somerset, England, which were originally dedicated to the pagan goddess of springs and wisdom called Sulis, then lost to history for some time, until only recently when they were recovered and worked up into a museum. Because they effectively skipped the Christian era in England, these mineral springs retain their pagan identity under the name of Sulis Minerva, a combination of the names of the local patron goddess and the Roman goddess Minerva. Perhaps even more renowned is the Chalice Well in Glastonbury, southeast England, Every year, millions of people visit this site to draw on its crimson-tinged waters. Archaeological digs have shown that this site has been used continuously for at least 2,000 years. The Chalice Well and its accompanying hill, Glastonbury Tor, are connected in popular tradition both with biblical events and with the King Arthur Holy Grail myths. Not all sacred springs are necessarily ancient, Beginning in the mid-19th century, pilgrims have flocked in droves to the Grotto of Lourdes, in the foothills of the Pyrenees, where the Virgin Mary appeared to a young woman while she was gathering firewood in 1858, and a spring reportedly bubbled up on the spot. Visitors report a vast array of illnesses and ailments cured 
by their drinking of the spring's water and bathing under the placid gaze of the spring's patron from her perch in the cave. These are only the most renowned of countless wells across Europe, the majority of which have fallen into disuse in the last 200 years. Some countries have a greater passion for the holy well than others. Historians reckon there are 3,000 holy well sites in Ireland, 2,000 in Wales, and Russia has as many as 3,500. In the Christian era, especially the Middle Ages, people would visit holy wells for their health, seeking cures for complaints of the eyes, for infertility, for skin diseases, and for children's illnesses like rickets, as well as limitless other ailments. Certain days, now associated with saints, were appropriate to visit the well, and certain common ritual practices, like circling the well three times clockwise, were passed down to enjoy the well's healing effect and to appeal to its patron. Sometimes this cure was obtained by drinking the water, other times by bathing in it. Ritual cleansing is important to nearly every spiritual tradition, just a few examples being the Roman baths and sacred springs derived from Greek tradition, the Jewish ritual practice of washing hands before eating in worship, and the Christian rite of baptism, which was overlaid on sacred bathing places of pagan times. Bathing Immersing oneself symbolically in the waters in which we swam in primordial times, and yet again in the wombs of our mothers, symbolizes nothing less than a rebirth of the self in the body and the spirit. Leaving aside spiritual matters for the moment, the reason springs are venerated in the first place is due to the simple fact that clear, fresh, beautiful water bubbling up from the ground so that we can drink it and remain living and well is an absolute miracle and a wonder upon which untold numbers of humans through time have depended and do depend for their survival. There is a lovely children's song from the Scottish island of Barra that addresses a well directly called a tabur in the Gaelic language, pleading with it to share its water. Well, well, give us water. The daughter of the king is drinking wine whilst the goats are bleating. Though this song appears to refer to an ordinary well, whose drinking water is shared with livestock, rather than reserved for ritual, it's interesting to note that the best-known holy well on the island of Barra today is St. Colum Kill's Well, which is situated on a sheep-pasturing hillside overlooking an artificial island on a lake, upon which sits a castle tower. That's Dun MacLeod Tower on Loch Tangisdale. Someone might easily have composed this song while sitting next to that sacred spring, tending their flocks in the hot sunshine, and reflecting on the disparity between their quality of life and that of the princess who sits in the tower drinking wine. If you picture it that way, you might even call the song a wish. After all, that particular column kills well, Anbara, is known for granting wishes. This is Tabur Tabur by Scottish folk duo Merit and Rona. Topper, topper, she away. Topper, topper, she away. Nee and recall, she is neko Topper, 
hardly a polytheistic pantheon without a goddess or god of springs and rivers. Water is, after all, the ultimate source, the mother, the fount of all life. It's no wonder, then, that ancient myth features wells as a cornerstone of the cosmos and a primary source of wisdom and memory. In Old Norse mythology, whose main source for us is the 13th century collection of poems known as the Poetic Edda, the cosmos takes the shape of a world tree called Yggdrasil, whose roots draw on three wells, Mimisbrunner, Erthebrunner, and Kvergilmir. Mimisbrunner, Mimir's well, is the source of all wisdom, to which Odin sacrifices one of his eyes in order to drink the water and embody its qualities. In fact, it has been theorized that Mim, the root of the name of the well Mimisbrunner and Mimir, 
may be the origin of the word memory, the vast container for all human wisdom. It's also very interesting that one of the most common powers attributed to holy wells across Europe is the power to heal ailments of the eyes, and wells are often called eye well in reference to their healing powers. In a hall standing next to Urzebrunner, the well of fate, or word, which feeds another root of Yggdrasil, live the Norns. These are three feminine beings who determine the fates of each human and godly life. In one story they appear at the birth of a boy in the farmhouse of a wealthy family in order to foretell his fate, as is their special skill and role. However, because the hostess offends one of these Norns in the process of dinner, the Norn decides to shorten the child's life in response to the offense. You may recognize a similar scenario from the fairy tale we now call Sleeping Beauty, the earliest written version of which appears in a medieval Arthurian romance called Persephorest. The three distinguished female guests in that narrative are given the names and attributes of Roman goddesses, connecting them to the fates, who serve a similar function in ancient Roman belief, spinning the thread of human and divine lives and determining each thread's length, and with it, the length of the life in question. But to come back to the Norns, there are two material ways they are shown symbolically shaping the fates of humans with their hands. The first is by carving runes into wood, as in this passage of the Voluspau, the Cirrus's prophecy. From there come three girls, knowing a great deal, from the lake which stands under the tree. Fated is one called, becoming another. They carved on wooden slips, must be the third. They set down laws, they chose lives, for the sons of men, the fates of men. Though they are depicted here carving runes to determine people's fates, they are shown elsewhere weaving destinies as well, especially, as I mentioned, at the cradle of newborns, and this is an image that comes up a lot in folklore and stories. The metaphor of weaving demonstrates how the destinies of individuals and families are closely intertwined, which is a thread taken up by Danish musician Mirker, whose song The Leaves of Yggdrasil opens with a description of the Norns weaving coarse threads together and shaping the difficult fates of two young lovers, a maiden and a warrior. This is The Leaves of Yggdrasil from Mirker's 2020 album Folkesang.
Norse mythology is not the only tradition where a tree provides the shape of the cosmos. In fact, the world tree with springs at its roots is a widespread phenomena in cultures with Indo-European connections and elsewhere. Baltic myth also features a world tree upon two springs, which are the source of life and wisdom, and in Slavic tradition, a tree of life upon a rock in the sea is the source of all flowing rivers. Indeed, wells were a key member of a triad of natural features known to be venerated by pagans in Celtic and Nordic regions at the time of Christianity's arrival. We learn about these three features from multiple statements delivered by church officials condemning devotions at 1. sacred springs, and 2. groves, and 3. stones for centuries throughout the Middle Ages. In the first of these warnings, at the Second Council of Arla, a 5th century meeting of the leaders of the Christian church, bishops were informed that they were committing sacrilege if they failed to stop pagans in their region from honoring these trees, wells, and stones. The mention of all three of these natural elements together as focuses for pagan worship also shows us that the location of a spring with special trees or a grove and a large stone together also often determined how pagans chose or created a sacred or ritual site. Thus, it is no surprise that many of the holy wells dotting the continent of Europe are accompanied by a remarkable tree or sacred grove and a large stone of some fashion for healing or offerings. Songs about wells surviving into the modern era, even those without a supernatural or spiritual theme, tend to mention trees and stones as well in relation to wells, which demonstrates the association is both strong and deep. Keep your eyes peeled and you will likely notice these connections in the songs and stories of this series of episodes. And whenever you encounter a folkloric, mythic, or literary reference to a well, it's remarkable the strength of the adhesive uniting these features in the collective imagination. Tree, well, and stone 
even when the composer of a song or a story might not be aware of why they felt that they belonged together in the first place. Perhaps the most basic meaning suggested by the image of both the tree and the well is that of abundance and the creative principle. In short, together, they represent life. The tree also resembles the human in shape, standing right at the edge and above the origin of life in the water, the upright emerging from its opposite, the plunging depths, one served and fed by the other, both contributing to the productive tension of fertility. Fertility is, perhaps, the sturdiest thread woven through the fabric of Holywell folklore. Many holy wells in the Celtic tradition are believed to aid in conception, for example, often, as in Ireland, the cure for difficulty in conceiving can be effected by bathing or maybe by sitting on a stone next to a sacred spring. A great number of holy wells in Ireland are dedicated to St. Bridget, and previously the goddess Bridget, both of these figures being related to fertility and birth. In the Irish folk song, My Love is a Well, the singer compares their romantic partner to a series of entities in nature, primarily a well, as deep as the bottomless sea, a berry rooted on a mountain and spreading seeds, and an eagle with its young. It connects these beings quite explicitly and beautifully with the ardent delight of producing offspring. Here is Doiry Farrell with My Love is a Well, written by the late Irish traditional singer Liam Weldon. Oh, my love is a well, a deep dropping well, as deep as the bottomless sea. Immersed am I in the well of my love, immersed in ecstasy. She calls me to mate with her for to fly Through the land of the mountain and the mist and the sky Where our young eagles scream at the dawning From royal purple and black, Afram that dwells by the rude mountain. 
It's no wonder that springs and wells are connected to the renewal of life and sexual reproduction, especially feminine fertility, when the material form of the well itself is plunging and wet and life-giving, much like certain parts of the female body. Humans enter the world through the portal of the womb. Likewise, in folklore and myth, the well is a portal to the other world and the source of special knowledge and power. The relationship to knowledge is there in the womb, too. It's no accident that the word conception, initially referring to the creation of an embryo only, came to be used as a metaphor for the moment when a new idea dawns in the mind. In countless stories and songs from across Europe, you'll notice that a man ventures forth and encounters a woman who is drawing water from a well. In fact, you might say this is the most common type of meeting that occurs at a well in a folktale, perhaps because in traditional societies, women are responsible for collecting water for drinking, cooking, or washing in the household that they manage. And as you might guess, these private meetings, away from the crowd, at the sight of an eternal symbol of creative power and fate, are where romantic encounters are especially salient. There is a Ukrainian Cossack song called Tuman Yarom, Tumen Delinayo, or Fog in the Ravine, Fog in the Valley, which describes a scenario precisely in this vein, a fateful romantic meeting at a well. The song lifts the curtain on a damp green valley filled up with fog, so that, at first, all that can be seen are the leaves on an oak tree. Slowly the song describes a scene unfolding beneath the tree. A girl draws water from a well with a golden pail. She drops the pail in the water and asks out loud, who will retrieve the pail for her? She declares that whoever he is, he will be the same young man who will stand with her upon the rushnik, or ritual wedding towel. A young Cossack appears and feels sympathy for the girl's lost bucket. He tells her that, yes, I will retrieve the pail for you, and I will stand with you on the rushnik at our wedding. 
The appearance of a Rushnik in this song is significant and is consistent with Ukrainian folk songs about love. A Rushnik is a length of cloth woven in white and embroidered with red and sometimes black or blue thread, which is used in nearly every important ritual in Ukrainian folk life, but especially at weddings, where the couple's hands are bound together using the embroidered towel, and as this song says, they stand upon it together. In eastern Ukraine, the towel is embroidered with, significantly, a tree of life. Here it is, one of my favorite songs, which gets me right in the gut. This is the exquisite version of Tuman Yarom, Tuman Delinayo, performed by the Veryovka National Folk Choir of Ukraine.
The significance of the white linen towel embroidered with red designs extends far beyond a single meeting in a single song. It signals to a huge complex of related images and meanings across European cultures related to wells, trees, weaving and linen, and of course, the color red. To begin with, the color red in Slavic folklore is a symbol of life itself because of its resemblance to the sun, but also, importantly, its suggestion of blood. The appearance of the color red on white cloth connects also to menstruation, which is perhaps the primary signal of human fertility and reproduction, even though its symbolic significance has been suppressed in recent centuries. The relationship between the production of textiles through spinning and weaving and wells and springs goes deeper than we can know from this vantage. It appears in numerous folk tales, myths, and songs from both Slavic and Germanic tradition, and is closely associated with communication with the other world. The protagonist in the German Frau Holle story, collected by the Grimm brothers, pricks her finger on a spindle, reaches into the well to clean the blood from her finger, then falls into the well and through to another, parallel spirit world. Similarly, Sleeping Beauty falls into a supernatural sleep after pricking her finger on a spindle. This Frau Holle figure is understood to have been a goddess in pre-Christian times, also called Perchta in the Alps, and maybe the origin of some of these related stories. In Slavic countries, the goddess of springs and the earth was called Mokosh, and her character was the dark, moist Mother Earth. She was a primary figure in Slavic paganism, and people made offerings to her at sacred springs and in fields to ensure a fruitful harvest. This is Makosh by Russian folk band Vaden Kolod.
Начался дождь на Ирийский сад, водяными нитями с неба. И в тех строях появилась Макаш, повелительница судьбы. Она нити придет, в клубок их сматывает. Непростые нити, волшебные. Из тех нитей сплетается наша жизнь. От завязки рождения и до конца, до последней развязки смерти. А помощницы доли с недолей, на тех нитях не глядя завязывают узелочки. На счастье, на горе ли, только Макаши это ведомо. Даже боги пред ней склоняются, как и все не подчиняются тем невидимым нитям Макаши. In the Christian era, the cult of St. Paraskeva Friday replaced worship of Mokosh in Slavic countries. She's also venerated in Serbia, Bulgaria, Romania, Macedonia, and Greece. Paraskeva was, and is associated particularly with springs and wells, crop fertility, and marriage divination, but primarily with women's work, specifically spinning. Much of the devotion to St. Paraskeva, whose name means Friday in Greek, a fact which may also connect her to the goddess Frigg, is nearly identical to that of her forebearer, Mokosh, so much so that in folk tradition they become almost the same figure, by different names. Certain Fridays throughout the year were dedicated to Paraskeva, at which time the many holy wells named for her received visits, and women were expected to take a break from the work of spinning flax, cleaning house, and washing linen, at pain of punishment by the saint. Her feast day is the height of linen production and marriage season both in Russia on October 28th. In a ritual called Mokrida, whose name comes from the same root as Mokosh, Mokr meaning moist, people would place flax or woven garments or towels into a well as a sacrifice to the saint, previously goddess. I'd like to mention also that in Latvia, in a possibly related tradition, the remains of woven fabric have been found in a cave with a spring known to be sacred. If you take the folk tales and songs together with the Mokrida ritual performed for Paraskeva, they appear to indicate an ancient forgotten forebear to this ritual that was common to Germanic and Slavic cultures perhaps at some point, which may have taken the form of a potent offering of one's own lifeblood on a hank of unspun flax, on wool or on woven fabric, into a holy well or a spring, an offering to the goddess of fertility or fate, perhaps to ask a favor in love or an alteration of one's destiny, to send one's intention through the portal of the well and directly into the spirit world. This is a Serbian chant to Sveta Petko, Saint Friday, the same saint known in Russia as Paraskeva. This is Chisto Serce Gospod Jeli by Grupa Legende. Prepodobna mati petko, moli Boga za nas, čisto srce Gospod želi, evanđelje tako veli, čista djeva ti Чисто сърце Богу даде, опредив на светител. 
tylko naszu zorę, sveta petko. Prepodobna mati petko, moli Boga za nas, um prečisti gospod traži, Bez maštanja i bez laži, ti mu dade um prečisti. Ko anželski takav isti, opredivna svetiteljko našu zore. Prepodobna mati petko, moli Boga za nas, dušu čistu gospod ište, ko nebesno sveti lište, takvu dušu ti odgaji. Sjaji, opredivna svetiteljko, našu zore sveta petko. Prepodobna mati petko, moli Boga za nas. Slično dugi, opredivno svetiteljko, našu zore sveta petko. We are nearing the end of this first episode in the Fair Folk series on wells and springs in myth and folklore. In the ensuing episodes, I'll share my experience from some of my own encounters with holy wells in Ireland, accompanied by a local steward of the holy wells of Wicklow County, Rosaline Durkin. In another episode, I'll dive into some of the more shadowy, troubled folklore and legend of wells and springs, particularly that from Northern Europe. I'll consider the surprising fact that wells and springs can often be sites of trauma in the folkloric imagination. How can wells be a source of life and a source of death at the same time, you ask? Just hold tight, and you'll find out in the next episodes. If you want to connect beyond this podcast experience, you can find me on patreon.com slash fairfolkcast or fairfolkpodcast on Patreon, just search it, where you can bring all your burning questions or vague wonderings about folklore, paganism, or medieval Christianity to my new shiny bi-weekly Q&A session, Please also leave a positive rating or a review on iTunes. 
and come find me on Instagram at danica.child. I post there more than anywhere else, and I'm dedicated to posting only positive and nourishing subject matter, because that is the kind of level that I like to exist on. This episode of Fair Folk would not have been possible without the incredible music of many talented musicians. Please visit the show notes to seek out the artists you've heard here and loved, and buy their music or stream it on Spotify so they can benefit materially from your love. The intro theme to Fair Folk is the song Forest March by Sylvia Woods. Many thanks to her for providing it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or with your favorite people, your time travelers, your Vikings, your witches, animists and folkies, whoever you think might benefit from what's inside these episodes. Thank you for having me here in your homes, your headphones, your most hallowed and secret places. It's an honor I take very seriously. I'll leave you today with a track about those Norns standing at Urthavirner, weaving the fates of humankind. This is Nornagalder by Runehild. Take good care of yourselves, and I'll talk to you soon. Shit.